The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Hey, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16 today as we kick off a brand new series called Life Multiplied. So if you got a Bible, I encourage you to turn there. If you got a smartphone with a Bible app, I encourage you to open that up and, and go to Matthew chapter 16. If you have a smartphone but you don't have a Bible app, I really would encourage you to look up Version and download that. It's a great way to get into the habit of reading the scriptures regularly. Um, Matthew 16 is where we're going to land Um, From a book I read years ago, there's a quote from John Ortberg that goes like this. It's impossible to hurry and to love at the same time. And in our world, busyness seems like the plague of our culture. Work schedules and family schedules and personal schedules, and we run from one thing to the next thing. We're eating on the go, and then we lay in bed missing sleep because we worry about what we're missing. And it's, it's a weird kind of situation. Technology, in fact, was supposed to make life easier. And I don't think there's anybody in here that probably agrees that it really totally makes life easier. We want to sync our schedules and we create reminders about appointments and the ideas. We don't double book ourselves. But then when things don't sync or we lose our information for one reason or another, we end up in full panic mode because our lives are full, but we don't know where we're supposed to be. And it brings me to a place where I think about John 10.10, and it says this, that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, Jesus says, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. But I think we're misunderstanding what full means. It's not busy and crowded and crazy. In fact, in the English Standard Version of the Bible, I have a study Bible called English Standard Version, one of the study notes says this, Jesus calls his followers not to dour, lifeless miserable uh, existences that squash human potential, but to a rich, full, joyful life overflowing with meaningful activities under the personal favor and blessing of God in continual fellowship with people. And when you hear what I just read, you hear words like rich and full, joyful, overflowing with meaning or personal favor, God's blessing, and we think about how do we get there? How do we enjoy the richness of life? How can we be sure that we're taking part in meaningful activities under God's blessing? How can we see God multiply his purpose and his spirit and his blessing in our lives? And it starts, this whole series starts with the foundation that is Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to read starting at verse 24, but my concern is these verses are so easily misunderstood, and I'll explain what I mean in a moment. Then Jesus, Matthew 16, verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Father, today we stop and pray, inviting your Holy Spirit to work in us. And my prayer is that we really would clarify what's so easily misunderstood in these verses. I pray for your spirit in all of us, God, to bring a conviction, encouragement, God, a directive, even as we leave here today in Jesus' name, amen. So again, Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple 
must deny themselves. And you've maybe heard this before, and I've read it many times before, and I know these verses, but Jesus says, you and I are called to deny ourselves, but he doesn't leave it as a generality because all of us might go, well, what exactly does that mean? He gets more specific by saying this, take up our cross and follow him. If you're taking notes, and by the way, there's little sheets there in front of you, you can take notes on, which I encourage you to do. There's pens there as well. It's this picture surrendering our personal ambitions to the one that we call Lord and Master, okay? Some of the titles as we look at Scripture, as we you know, follow Christ, he's the Lord, he's our Master. But here's the thing. We talk all the time about Jesus as our Savior, and that's an important thing to understand because it's capital S, Savior, What we're saying is we believe that Jesus Christ is the one who paid the price to deal with all of our sin because we owe a penalty for our sin. Jesus paid that price on the cross so that you and I don't have to figure out how to be good enough or how to earn it or or how to get to heaven in our own ways. No, no. It's about believing on the message of what Christ did on the cross his death, his burial, and his resurrection, paying the price for you and me. That's where we get this idea of say, he saved us from the penalty of our sin. He's our savior, and that's the only savior there is. So we believe that Jesus is our savior, but we've got to take it a step further and understand when we talk about Jesus, he's also the Lord. And when he says, deny ourselves, Like I said, it's surrendering our personal will to the one that we call Lord. In the New Living Translation of this phrase, deny ourselves, it says this, turning from our selfish ways. The idea is when we we live selfishly or when we don't deny ourselves, we do what we want without regard to God's word or God's design or God's desire for us, without filtering our lives through the prayer of invitation for the Holy Spirit to guide us. So we disregard what God would want and we decide we want to do what we want to do without filtering our lives through the Holy Spirit, without the listening ear guiding wisdom of those that are more mature than us spiritually. What happens is, we end up clinging to verses like, like, you know, pray anything in my name and it will be done. And we kind of say anything we want in prayer about what we desire and we end with in Jesus' name thinking that's the magic potion to get whatever we want. And people have misused this over and over and over really for, for the history of the world. And yet, when you look at the context of what's being said, it doesn't come without the need for you and I to surrender. We love verses like Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And we think that, well, I, I'm part of church, or I'm trying to learn, you know, whatever. And, and, and so whatever's going on, I should get what I want. Once again, we misunderstand that to, to delight ourselves in the Lord is not simply to sing a worship song or attend a church service a gathering like this, but to delight ourselves in the Lord is to find our meaning, our purpose, our identity wrapped up in who he is. And when we do that, what happens is God places desires in our hearts that he wants to fulfill. There's a big difference. And so the verse continues. He says, we must deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. What does the cross symbolize? 
The cross symbolizes death. We, most of us know that. Most of us understand that. The cross symbolizes death. Jesus is saying we must die. Aren't you glad you came today? <clears throat> but here's the thing. Not literally. Our will must be broken, surrendered to God's will. Our will must be broken, surrendered to God's. That, that when, when what we want, listen, goes against the grain of what God desires, we break. When what you and I feel like we want, when you and I think we want this or that, and it goes against the grain of what God wants, we break. Now, in our theology and the nature of who God is, as we read about it in Scripture, when you and I decide to hold on, when you and I decide I'm going to be the Lord, when you and I decide I want the reins, when you and I decide, hey, even though this isn't congruent with what God wants for my life, I'm going to do it anyway, here's what our Heavenly Father, here's what the Lord does, steps back and lets us go on our own merry way, and as many of us, including me, are familiar with, we reap the consequences of doing what we want. Anybody else in here with me on that? So it's this picture of surrender, but it comes down to this place where when what I want and what God wants aren't the same, I need to be the one to break. Not waiting on God going, please God, change your mind, I want to do this anyways. <clears throat> this is where, as I said above, this becomes misunderstood. Because we hear this verse, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. And what becomes misunderstood is we read verses like this and go, you know what, our faith is supposed to be this strict discipline thing where I'm never quite good enough and I don't measure up and God's never quite satisfied with me. And what he is is a cosmic killjoy. Because we see this verse and go, how lame is all this? But we're missing the other side of the conversation. Surrender becomes a bad word. Taking up our cross conjures up images of pain and suffering. And so truth number one, it's because it is. It is painful. It is difficult to find ourselves in a place where our will and what God wants are not the same thing. It is painful to be broken enough to go, God, I give it to you. It's a difficult place to be. But here's the other truth. Yes, it's painful, but only at first. Here's what I mean by that. The imagery that Jesus uses here of this cross is really foreshadowing the fact that he's going to the cross. And yes, it's, a, it's an instrument of death, but think about what happened beyond the work of the cross, that Jesus died on the cross, Jesus was buried, and the Bible reminds us on the third day, raised from the dead. So, so what is the real picture of this thing? Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. At first, it's death, but what does it lead to? Real life. See, we've got to get through the place where we're surrendering our will to God's will so that we can, in, in the midst of as painful as it is, get beyond that to the place that real life is being developed in us. See, keep in mind that, that when you look at the picture of Jesus, even Jesus prayed, it says to, 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 to the Lord, 
in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he say? It says that he knelt down and he began to pray in agony. And what did he say? He said, Abba, Father. And we go, what does that mean? It's a term that would be like this, dad or daddy. Jesus, in his relationship with his heavenly father and our heavenly father, bowed down on his knees. And what did he pray? Dad, please let this cup pass from me. In other words, my will and what you want for me right now are not the same thing. Jesus is literally saying in that moment, what I want right now and Heavenly Father, what you want of me aren't the same. Please take it from me. But you can't leave out the last part of that prayer. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. And that's where in the picture that even Jesus felt the agony of laying down his agenda for what God wanted. Clearly far different than you and I where it's not about going to a physical cross but nonetheless painful to lay down our will. But what it becomes is an issue of trust. We must go through the obedience of surrender to get to the place where God brings us real life. The verse continues, Matthew 16, 24, into verse 25. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What is he saying? He's saying if you and I want to hold on to the reins, if you and I want to be the Lord, that we're going to reap the consequences of being the Lord of our own lives, both here on this earth reaping the consequences of holding on to our own desires as well as into eternity where there's eternal life. We don't get to enjoy eternal life with God, but instead separated from God because we've chosen to pay our own penalty for our mistakes because we're the Lord. Do you see what I'm saying? So Jesus says, for whoever wants to save their life, hold on to their life, be the Lord of their own life. Eventually, it's gonna fall apart in this world and in eternity, they're gonna lose it. But... Whoever loses their life for me, in other words, surrenders their will for what God wants. And it's not that it's easy. Roman, if you're taking note, write down Romans 7. Romans 7, if you read it, is a tennis match back and forth over the net where Paul says, why is it that I do what I don't want to do and what I hate, I end up doing? And he goes back and forth on this whole picture of his flesh and this battle that goes on that most of us in here would go, yeah, yeah, there's a battle at times. But at the end of the chapter, you can never forget that what he says is, who will rescue me from this body of death? Who will rescue me from this battle of what I want? And his answer is this, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus, our Lord the one we surrender to. That's where we find the breakthrough. Life multiplied only comes in surrender. Life multiplied only comes when we're willing to be obedient to the place where, yeah, this is painful, this hurts at times, it's uncomfortable, but we find that real life begins to develop because we're being obedient to the process. The disciple John said it this way, and this is a couple of verses were one of my first ones to memorize a long, long, long time ago. And this is the testimony, 1 John 5, 11 and 12. 
And this is the testimony. God has given us life. And this life is found in his son. He who has the son has life. He who doesn't have the son does not have life. So when we talk about laying down our own agenda, we talk about this place of surrender. As we begin through this series, Life Multiplied, and have conversations about this picture of laying down what we want in order to serve others and finding real joy instead of getting all that we want. That there is real prosperity in in living generously with our income or our belongings. That there's deep satisfaction to be gained by setting aside time each day to read the Bible, figuring out, learning a prayer life, and trusting that as I carve out that time, God can multiply my day to accomplish what I need to. It's trusting on the other side of, of not doing, of stepping aside from the busyness and going, I want to develop some spiritual principles in my life, trusting that God's got something good on the other side of it. Our lives really do become richer or deeper, more fulfilling. There is God's blessing on the other side of our obedience to get baptized. February 10th, it's coming up, and man, we've already got people signing up, and, and, and we're going to see people go, man, I'm going public with my faith, laying your life down symbolically in the waters of baptism, because that's what we're called to do as followers, and if you're a follower of Christ, and you've yet to be water baptized since you made that decision, man, February 10th, it's a party. We're going to have fun celebrating what God's doing in your life, but you need to be obedient to the process and sign up and get that done. For some of you, and it's, it's timely because we launch life groups, they start this week. Some groups will be happening tonight, but throughout this week, getting connected in a group where you're looking through the scriptures together and having conversations together and challenging one another, praying together, doing real community, because again, you can attend and have a great experience on a Sunday, but there's so much more to the dynamic of your spiritual walk than just Sunday to Sunday, getting into a life group carving out a sum of your income to invest in kingdom principles and what we get to do as a church together as we, people come up at the end and we're to collect the giving, great. Or sharing why your faith matters. You ever had the opportunity to have somebody ask you, you're a church person or you're a spiritual person or you got religion or however they say it. I've heard all those. And a conversation develops out of it. Why is it meaningful to me? Why do I do the church thing? Why do I become a pastor? whatever it might be, but it's so fun when those conversations happen and people's hearts begin to open to who Jesus is. You say, here's what happened to me 27 years ago. Man, man, I tell you what, changed the trajectory of my life. I realized that God cared so much about me. Wow, that's awesome. Look, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but you should come to church with me. Or I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but Jesus is there for you too. It's not just a me thing. And watching people literally open their hearts to who he is. At moments, even being able to say, any chance you want to pray? Just invite Jesus into your life right now. And oh my word, I've been over the moon in those moments. It's so fun. Jude chapter, Jude verse six, there's no chapters. Jude verse six literally says, if you don't share your faith, you're missing out on a portion of the joy and the fullness that comes from following Christ. It's so amazing. It doesn't always happen. You get plenty of people, "Ah, I'm not one of those people. Okay, it's all right. Jesus goes on to say, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And finally here, through the progression, hey, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. 
He goes on and, and, and brings up what, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. And then he begins to bring up this whole soul conversation. There's something deeper going on, and Jesus acknowledges that so many people in our world gain so much in the way of maybe things or in the way of power, climbing ladders of success or, or whatever it might be. And we know them, and we see them. And it's not just people that are so rich that they have jets and yachts and houses on all kinds of continents. No, no, no. This includes us. People like you and me who can so easily spend our time climbing the wrong ladders, investing in the wrong things, looking back on our years and going, man, I'm in my 40s or 50s or 60s or 70s and going, what did I do and why did I spend my energy or resources or time or whatever? Why that way? Because it didn't matter. And what a tragedy to have to look back and realize that. Jesus is very concerned in who we're becoming. And it's not that we can't enjoy things. To be honest, as you look at scriptures over and over, it brings me to thinking of Timothy 6, where he says, you have resources, great, enjoy them, but also let's live generously. Great, you have time, enjoy it, but also be generous. Great, you have a relationship with others, great, go do fun things, but, but don't look through the lens of what you want, but through the lens of who they are too. It's a reminder for all of us that who we're becoming and what we're contributing to our world in the filter of who Christ is matters in a big way. Jesus says there's a lack of care for our soul, our internal unseen life that matters deeply. And what it comes down to is an issue of trust. It comes down to, does God really have my best in mind? Is my heavenly father want to give good gifts? And the scriptures tell us. Jesus says it in a preposterous way. Who of you, if your son asks for a fish because he's hungry, will give him a snake, a live viper? You know, that's stupid. That would never happen. Exactly. Jesus is saying, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts, give the spirit to those who ask? The nature of our heavenly father is that when we're willing to surrender he has something better. It's an issue of trust. There's, there's nothing better than living that kind of life. But we must get through the part about denying ourselves first. It reminded me, as I was putting my notes together, it reminded me of a story that, that maybe you've heard before. I think many of us in here maybe have. But I'm just going to read it. It's a little long, but bear with me. The cheerful girl with bouncy curls was almost five. Waiting with her mother at the checkout stand, she saw them, a circle of glistening white pearls in a pink foil box. Oh, mommy, please, please, can I have them? Please, please. Quickly, the mother checked the back of the little box and looked back into the pleading eyes of her little girl's upturned face. $1.95, that's almost $2 if you really want them. I'll think of some extra chores for you, and in no time, you can save enough money to buy them for yourself. Your birthday is only a week away, and Maybe grandma will give you a dollar. <laughs> as soon as Jenny got home, she emptied her piggy bank, but she only had 17 cents. After dinner, she did more of her share of chores and went to the neighbor and asked if she could pick dandelions for some more. On her birthday, grandma did give her a dollar bill, and at last she had enough money to buy the necklace. 
Jenny loved her pearls. They made her feel dressed up and grown up. She wore them everywhere, to kindergarten, at school, even to bed. The only time she took them off was when she went swimming or had a bubble bath because mother said if they got wet, they might turn her neck green. (laughs) Jenny had a very loving dad, and every night when she was ready for bed, he would stop what he was doing and come upstairs to read her a story. One night when he finished the story, he asked Jenny, do you love me? Oh, yes, daddy, you know I love you. Then give me your pearls. Oh, daddy, not my pearls, but you can have princess, the white horse from my collection, the one with the pink tail. Remember the one you gave me? She's my favorite. That's okay, honey. I love you. Good night. And he brushed her cheek with a kiss. About a week later after the story time, Jenny's dad asked again, do you you love me? Daddy, you know I love you. Then, Then give me your pearls. Oh, daddy, not my pearls. You can have my baby doll the brand new one I got for my birthday. She's so beautiful and you can have the yellow blanket that matches her sleeper. That's okay, sleep well, God bless you, dad loves you. And always, as always, he brushed her cheek with a kiss. A few nights later when her dad came in, Jenny was sitting on her bed with her legs crossed. As he came close, he noticed her chin was trembling and one silent tear rolled down her cheek. What is it, Jenny? What's the matter? Jenny didn't say anything but lifted her little hand up to her dad. And when she opened it, there was her little pearl necklace. With a quiver, she finally said, here, it's for you. With tears gathering in his own eyes, Jenny's kind dad reached out with one hand to take the dime store necklace. And with the other hand, he reached into his pocket and pulled out a blue velvet case with a strand of genuine pearls and gave them to Jenny. He had them all the time. He was just waiting for her to give up the dime store stuff so he could give her genuine treasure. And and maybe you've heard it before, but for me, it paints that very picture of a heavenly father who wants us to surrender, but it's a matter, listen, of you and I trusting that he has something better in mind. And it's not fun and easy and simple and no big deal. Even Jesus was like, take this cup. And yet, in the midst of you and I trusting that that's the nature of our God, my hope and prayer is that we find ourselves far more willing to surrender our will to what he wants, believing that he has the best thing in mind. And maybe you're here today. And when I have this conversation, I talk about the message of the gospel. Maybe you're not a church person. The religion thing scares you or you've been jaded because you hear or see or have been a part of things that happen in church world. But even still, the message of the gospel is a message for you. And I don't know where you're at in this conversation. Maybe you've been around church for a while and and you gave your life to Christ at some point and and life just kind of goes on and today you're like, I'm just kind of here and that's fine. Or maybe you haven't ever heard the message of Christ or you've heard it but never responded. What I want to mention to you today is absolutely, it's about surrender. But what it's about is surrendering your life to a God who cares enough to send Jesus that you don't have to pay your own penalty. And if you're here today and you would say at the beginning of a brand new year, you know what, I could use a fresh start. I want to know I'm forgiven. You can't earn it. You can't figure it all out the right way. It's about being in a place of surrender. If you're here and you want to say yes to faith in Christ, in just a moment on the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. With every eye open, with everyone looking at you, I'm just going to, it takes a little courage to go, hey, yeah, you know what? But if you're here today and you say, you know, I want a fresh start, you've never, never made that decision, Or maybe you have, but you just go, that was a while ago, and I don't know what my life's about. And you want that new beginning today. On the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Where are you at? One, 
two, three, four, five. Anybody else? Say, I want to invite Jesus into my life. I want a fresh start. I want him to be the Lord. Anybody else besides those five hands? Six? Anybody else just want to say yes to faith in Christ? Okay, awesome. Here's what I want to do. Two things and then I'm done. First of all, I want, if you raise your hand as one of those six that said, I want to invite Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I want a new beginning. I want you to pray with me. And it's not magic or the right words. It's about you turning your life over to Christ, inviting him into your world, one, for forgiveness, two, that he would be the Lord. And so if you've prayed this prayer before because you're a follower of Christ and you get this, or, or maybe you're one of the six that raised your hand, I want you to pray with me. Ready? Say, Jesus, thank you for what you've done. That you paid the price that I owed because I owed a debt that I couldn't pay. Come into my life. Forgive me of all of my sin. Be my savior from my own mess. Be the Lord of my life. That I would follow you each day, surrendering my will to your will. It begins today in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you give a hand to those six people that just raised their hand to say yes to faith? Amen. Amen. If you were one of those six, would you mark that on the connect card before you head out today? And the reason I say that and the reason we want to know is because we have some intentional steps as a church that we want you to take that if we're not sure, then then you won't know what steps to take. So if you'd fill out that connect card, that would be great. If you don't have one, there should be a card there in the seat in front of you and you can mark it on there. There's some pens there in the seats. And finally, I want to pray for all of us because I believe surrender is a struggle no matter how mature in Christ we really are. Can I hear an amen on that? Father, today, I pray that we would live in a place of surrender that I believe as we walk through this series that it really begins with the foundation of surrender. And so God, help us all to live in that place that that it's not, as Jesus talks about it, that it's not a place of being a cosmic killjoy that we're never good enough and life should be drab, but it's about realizing that as we surrender our own will, our own passions, God, we get a much better life in this world and into eternity. Not always easy, not somehow carefree and everything's always perfect, but God, a better, meaningful life connected to our heavenly father here into eternity. Help us live as people in surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.